was about. But now we enter Ephesians. And Ephesians is not so much about the individual coming to faith as it is about the community of believers or the church living by faith. So we're going to learn throughout this study of the entire book how God designed, how he created his church, which as a reminder is not this building, it's who? It's us, it's people, it's followers of Jesus, both here and throughout the whole world, how he designed his church to function. Now, Paul wrote this around the year 62 AD, give or take a few years. He wrote it while he was in prison in Rome. It's one of uh, what we know today as his prison epistles. So he wrote this while in Rome, and he wrote it specifically to the believers who lived in the city of Ephesus. Now, I have a map I want to show you to kind of just give us a geographical idea of where in the world all this is taking. You can see the balloon marker there, and that is the ancient city of Ephesus in what is today a modern-day Turkey. So Paul in Rome is writing this letter to the believers in that city, whereas Galatians was not written to a specific city as much as it was written to a region. Now, Galatia would be to the far right of the screen. We see the cities of Laodicea, Heropolis, Colossae, kind of all in that region is the region of Galatia. Ephesians, again, is written to a group of believers, the church, in a specific city. And I wanted to share with you a little bit of background here of what's taking place in the city of Ephesus. Paul made two visits to the city of Ephesus, once in Acts 16, and it was a rather short visit, kind of popped in, said hi, gave some encouragement, and then he said, I'll be back. Well, in Acts 19, Paul comes back on his third missionary journey to the city of Ephesus where he intends to stay for some time. And all of Acts 19 is dedicated to the ministry that God did through Paul's time in that city. And I want to share some highlights for you. This is coming from Acts 16. Paul preached daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for over two years so that all the Jews and all the Gentiles who lived in that city heard the word of the Lord. And God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I find that interesting, that there is a daily preaching of the word of God so that every person in the city heard the word of God, and then God did extraordinary miracles through that. Listen what happens next. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor, and many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. And a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And the word of the Lord in this way spread widely and grew in power. Friends, the preaching of the word of God consistently and faithfully by one man in one city brought revival. 
And if, if God can do that then, what can God do today with this group of people in this city, with you and I, to f- commit ourselves to the faithful preaching and living out of God's word? God wants to use you. He is not done with you. He is not done with the work that he wants to do here in this city of Melbourne, Palm Bay, Florida. He is not done with what he wants to do in Bavard County, in this nation, and to the ends of the earth. But he is looking, just as he did with Paul, for people in this room who are willing to say, God, use me. Are you usable today? Because God, I believe, wants to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through your life through the preaching of the gospel. We're going to see today, as we begin our study, through the first 14 verses of chapter 1, that Paul builds a foundation for us to live life from. And it's a foundation of blessings. And and they're not necessarily the blessings that we might think of when we think of the word blessings. These are spiritual blessings. That our lives that the church would understand that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms and as a basis of those blessings, that we would live effective lives for him today. We're going to learn four spiritual blessings that God blesses you and I with. Let's pray one more time. Father, as we begin now our study through your word, God, we we first and foremost, we recognize that it is the word of God. And it is your word that has power. It's not my words. It's your words that have the power. So God, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to your word this morning. God, we pray for your presence in this place, in the commons, in the living rooms of those who are watching online and wherever they are. We gather in the name of Jesus, and Lord, we expect you and invite you to do great things. So God, would you speak to us today? Would you open our hearts as we open your word? God, I pray just for your own uh, anointing, Lord, just over this teaching, over my lips. Pray for humility. We pray for your grace to go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? to Ephesians chapter 1. We begin in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you know today God blesses you and I spiritually? You see, Paul's readers, the recipients of this letter, they were both Jew and Gentile. And the specifically the Jewish readers, the Jewish recipients, would have understood blessings from God to be primarily material. That God would, if they were obedient to God's law and God's commands, that God would bless them materially. And is it true that God blesses us materially? Does God give us material blessings? Oh, he absolutely does. 
many, but Jesus specifically mentions, uh, don't be anxious about your food. And he says, don't worry about your clothing. He doesn't say anything about fashion, but he just says, don't worry about clothing. So he does promise some material blessings. But the Old Testament blessings were primarily material. The New Testament blessings are primarily spiritual. We do not negate the promises and the blessings of the Old Testament, but we live in the New Testament age. So our focus, our hope, and our expectation is on the spiritual blessings that God promises his people. Think of it like this. Your car, hopefully, not sure after Wednesday, has a windshield. (laughs) You have a windshield and you have a rear view mirror. Now, ideally, when you're driving, you're going to be spending most of your time looking through what? The windshield. You can be confident in that. That's the correct answer. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we're going to be looking through the windshield, but we still have the rear view mirror. And the rear view mirror is not there for a decoration, though I would argue some believe that. Um, The rear view mirror is there to help us glance back so that we can make better decisions moving forward. In the same way, We don't negate the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the Old Testament blessings, they are there to help us understand, to build our faith and our confidence in God's promises as we move forward through the windshield of faith following Jesus. The Bible says that we set our minds on things above, spiritual blessings, not on earthly things. And to help illustrate the difference between these material blessings of the Old Testament and the spiritual blessings of the New Testament, I want to show you this contrast chart. The Old Testament material blessings primarily found in Deuteronomy. God promises his people that if you obey me, he says, you'll be blessed with many children, a good harvest, healthy livestock, military victory, and you will be a leading nation among nations. Not bad. But in the New Testament, the spiritual blessings that we're going to unpack today are the spiritual blessings of election, adoption, unification, and glorification. By the way, those four, election, adoption, unification, and glorification, that will serve as our outline through our text this morning. So we'll see that God has blessed us spiritually with those blessings. Read with me verse 4. Paul writes, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So the first spiritual blessing that Paul shares with us is the spiritual blessing of election. Say that with me. Election. It proves God's grace and his worthiness to be praised. See, Paul begins here. By mentioning election, and it's what we call today as the doctrine of election. It's been said if you try and explain election, you might lose your mind. But if you try and explain it away, you might lose your soul. The goal here is not to persuade you of election or dissuade you of election, but rather it is to expose 
the heart of God through this doctrine in a way that results in our praise and glory to him. Now, this phrase Paul begins with in verse 4 is these three words. It says, for he chose. He chose who? He chose us. Do you know today that God chose you? And that, that word, that phrase, for he chose us, it means just that. It means that God picked you. He picked you. When did God pick you? The text tells us before when? The foundations of the earth, before the creation of the world, God picked you. He chose you. Before he said, let there be light, God decided in eternity past to one day let the light of his grace shine on you and I. And that truth is is incomprehensible for so many of us to understand. It is incomprehensible for me to fully understand. But God, does he require us to understand him all the time? No, because why? His, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God does not require us to understand him. God requires us to believe him. And we see a prime example of God's election, of God's divine choosing all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. God chose, God elected, God picked Abraham. And if we look at our text here, Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Abraham, by the way, is the first person whom God clearly elected or chose in Scripture. And this is what it says. The text says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, Abraham, what's interesting is Abraham didn't really have any true knowledge of God. He didn't know that one day God had planned for the Savior of the world to come from Abraham's family line. Abraham, uh, he didn't go to Bible college. He wasn't baptized. He didn't fill out an application. Abraham was just there living in the land of Ur of the Chaldees, the text tells us, which is modern-day southern Iraq. It was a fertile land. It was a prosperous land. Abraham was a wealthy man just doing life in Ur when God one day showed up and elected him and said, Abraham, I'm choosing you. And I'm choosing you to be a blessing to all nations and to all peoples. I'm choosing you, Abram. I'm choosing you. Why did God choose him? Remember, Abraham didn't really even know who God was. God chose him on the basis of grace. On the basis of grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is simply this, it's on the screen. It is God's undeserved and unmerited favor. It's, who, it's part of God's character and his nature of who he is, that if you encounter God, you will encounter grace. You will encounter his favor on your life, not on the basis of anything you have done, but completely on the basis of who he 
is. And when we look at this example of election, we see the heart of God through it. God does not choose some to exclude others. If we can put Genesis 12 back on the screen, please. Rather, God chooses some to include all. If we look at the very last sentence right after that semicolon, it says, Abraham, all people on the earth will what? Be blessed through you. Election of God is not exclusive. God doesn't have this holy huddle of members only. God's election is inclusive because he desires every single person have a relationship with him. It is wholly based on his grace. And his election is his invitation to you and to me to both receive his blessings and to be an extension of his blessings to the whole world. But it's done on his grace and on his terms. Because if we look at Romans chapter 3, which says this, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. Some of you are like nudging your spouse. There's no one who seeks God. You see, left to ourselves, we cannot pursue God. Our, our sinful nature inhibits our ability to pursue God apart from God. And no matter how hard we try, we can't pursue God without God's pursuit of us because of our sinful nature. Luke 19, 10, Jesus speaking, and he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Salvation always begins with God, not with people. God's choosing, his electing, is on the basis of his grace, not our merit, not our works. And if it's not clear yet, Jesus says it quite plainly in John 15. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that would last. You know what Jesus chose you? You're not an accident, you're not a mistake. He intentionally chose you for a purpose, that you would bear a fruitful life for his glory. He didn't call you and I to be busy. He called you and I to be fruitful. So that you would just sit, as we go through the series, sit, walk, stand, that you would sit at the feet of Jesus, that you would walk through all of life with him, and that you would stand in faith in his presence for him, that you would bear a fruitful life. So because Jesus chose you, that produces a worship in our life to him because it's nothing that we have done. And if we take an honest assessment of our life and we ask the question, would you choose you? Seriously, would you choose you to carry out the mission of God that has eternal consequences in this world? No. I, I would not even choose me to preach this sermon to you. And for the record, it wasn't up to me. It was assigned to me. So if you don't like it, you can take that up with Pastor Brian and Pastor Dave. But, but you know, God chose you, and he chose me. So what does that mean? That means in life's ups and downs. That means in, in the good times and the bad times. 
That means no matter how we're feeling, and yes, we are all human, and we all have the tendency from time to time to question God. God, what are you doing? God, I don't understand. God, why is this happening? Because God has chosen you from eternity past to save you for all eternity. Therefore, our willingness to praise God in the moment does not define God's worthiness to be praised. Our willingness to praise God does not define his worthiness to be praised because he chose you. And that produces worship in our life to him. And maybe you're thinking, well, if God chose me, then isn't that a violation of my free will? After all, didn't I say yes to God, raise my hand and pray the prayer? And the answer to that is, is yes, you did. You made the free will choice to accept Christ, but only because he first chose you. Look with me at Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, God says, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God chose Jeremiah before he was even born. Look with me again at another verse, 2 Timothy. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and what? Grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And last but not least, Revelation 13, 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. Everyone whose name that has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. God has chosen you, he has elected you, and he desires to save you, and he initiated your salvation before the creation of the universe. Jesus made that salvation possible by going to the cross. So the question then is, well, then, then do we respond to, to God's grace against our will? Is God's grace manipulative? The answer to that is no. God's grace makes us willing to respond. Because if we look at Romans chapter 2, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? So the answer to the question, if, if God chose me, then isn't that a violation of my free will? Friend, the mystery of divine election and human responsibility will never be solved in this lifetime. And there are many great scholars who have written volumes on one thought and another thought of free will and election. But the truth is, as we see plainly from Scripture, both are preached, both are taught in Scripture, and both are essential. And it is a mystery. God is divine. He is sovereign. He is in control. So a few final points on this doctrine of election. By grace, God chose Abraham to be a blessing to all people. By grace, God chose you. He chose you to be a recipient of his grace and to extend his grace and his blessings to all people. God chose Abraham by grace to prepare the way of salvation. God chose you to go into all the world and to preach the gospel so that some may be saved. God chose 
by grace, Abraham to live by faith. The text tells us that Abraham didn't know where he was going, but by faith he went believing God. God calls you and I to live not by sight, but to live how? By faith. By faith. And God's election of you gives us confidence to take steps of faith, knowing that the same God who was there in the past is with you in the present, and he will be there in your next step in the future. His election is what gives us sure and certain confidence to live by faith and not by sight. It is a blessing from God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory and praise to God. So the spiritual blessing of election, it proves God's grace and his worthiness to be praised. Now, as we continue, we pick up in verse 5 for the second spiritual blessing. The text says, In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. So the second spiritual blessing is the spiritual blessing of adoption reveals God's heart and our present standing. Adoption reveals God's heart and our present standing. Now, in addition to the buzz that that word election can sometimes cause, we're faced with another buzzword in Christianity, predestination. Election and predestination go together, but they're not the same. We need one to help better understand the other. Predestination is primarily used in Scripture to describe what God does for his people. Bible commentator Warren Wearsby, he says it like this. He says, election seems to refer to people, while predestination primarily refers to purposes. So as we read earlier in Jeremiah, God predestined Jeremiah to be a prophet. God's purpose for Jeremiah was that he would be a prophet. Did you know today that God has a purpose for your life? He has a purpose for your life. That, that's why that shape class is so important, that we would discover what God's potential purposes are for our lives. But now there are many avenues that we can go to when we discuss predestination. By the way, predestination simply means to predetermine. And we can talk about once saved, always saved. Can a, can a Christian lose their salvation? What about Judas? What about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? Those are all great questions. Pastor Dave will be in the center ring after service. <laughs> but our text today limits the scope of our discussion of predestination to that of what God does for his people and I'm thankful for that. Here's a, a clear example of predestination, what God does for his people. It comes from Acts. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city, Jerusalem, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Look at verse 28. They did what your power and will had decided, had predestined beforehand should happen. Because God chose you before he created the universe, he also chose to save you before you were born. And in so choosing that, God chose the means of our salvation, the giving up of his own son, Jesus. So the predestination of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins gives us assurance of our salvation. It wasn't a coincidence in human history that Jesus went to the cross. It was predetermined by God in eternity past that that would happen and that that would be the means and the way of salvation, that that would be the price for our sin. And you know what? When God counted the cost and he looked at you and I, do you know what he said? So be it. It's worth it. So your salvation, your choosing, your election, your adoption is not by coincidence and it's not by accident. So what is this word adoption? Well, under Roman law, which is part of the context of our passage, when a child was adopted into a Roman family, they uh, immediately received all of the rights and privileges of natural-born children. However they would not be entitled to any sort of inheritance until they became legal adults. But when Paul uses this word adoption in our text, this word carries the idea that when God adopts us into his family, he adopts us with legal adult standing. Meaning that regardless of your age, Right? Paul is, he is not saying that only adults 18 and up can be saved. That is not what he is saying. All can be saved. But what he is saying is that when God chooses you, when he elects you, when you place your faith in him and you become a part of his family, regardless of your age, you immediately become the recipients and an heir to his inheritance. He withholds nothing good from you. He withholds nothing good from me. Now, I heard a story once, and it's a true story. There was a family, they were traveling, and they were having lunch at an airport. And while they were having lunch at the airport, uh, the server came up to them and just simply asked, where are you going? And the father looked up and said, it finally happened. Our adoption papers got approved. We are on our way to China to adopt an orphaned brother and sister. And the servers asked, do they know they're coming for you? Do they know you're coming for them? And the father said, excuse me? And the the server restated and said, does the orphaned brother and sister know you're coming for them? And the father stepped back and said, they have no idea. They have no idea that they have a family, that they are loved unconditionally, that they are a son and a daughter, and and they're going to have siblings, 
And they're going to have for the first time ever a family, a hope, and a future. They have no idea that I'm coming for them. But I have adopted them and they are my children. Did you know today that's God the Father's heart for you and I? He is coming for you and some of you don't even know he's coming for you. But today the Bible says is the day of salvation. And he is coming for you, and he does give you a hope. He does give you a future. He does give you a faith family. He does love you unconditionally, and he will bless you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, holding nothing back from his children. That's our God. That's his heart. That's adoption. So how does one get adopted? Verse 7 tells us adoption comes by way of Redemption. Now, for that family I just shared, at the time of their adoption of those two from China, that cost was two years and $40,000. But what did it, but it cost those two, that brother and sister, it cost them absolutely nothing. But they gained everything. You know, the cost of our adoption was the price of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, going to the cross, shedding his blood for you and for me. It cost God everything. It cost us nothing. We gain everything. When God counted the cost, he said it's worth it. He said you're worth it. Because I desire so much for you to know me as I know you. It's worth whatever it takes. And he made that possible. See, you're redeemed at a price. And God makes adoption possible for every person. We said election and adoption, that they go together. We need one to better help understand the other. God's election, his choosing to adopt you, it's not exclusive. It's inclusive. He invites all. Look with me at the text here, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 2. God who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man Jesus Christ, he gave his life to purchase freedom for who? Everyone. And this is the message God gave the world at just the right time. Adoption. It reveals God's heart and our present standing today if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a child of God and you are the recipient of every spiritual blessing that's in Christ Jesus right now in this moment. If you've not yet placed your faith in Christ, know this, the Father's coming for you and he desires you and he calls you by name. Let's look at verse 9 and 10. It says, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Our third spiritual blessing is this. The spiritual blessing of unification is both God's mission 
and our call. Unification is both God's mission and our call. You see, God is working all things together in the background, in the present, in the future, to bring all things together in unity under Christ. And Paul says there's a mystery going on here. There's a mystery of God. And a spoiler alert for when we get to chapter 3, Paul reveals to us what that mystery is. Look with me at Ephesians 3.6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's anyone who is not Jewish, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So when we reach back now to Genesis 12, we remember Abraham. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, all nations, all people are going to be blessed through you. And the, uh, the death of Jesus made that promise possible. Paul declares it there in chapter 3, verse 6, that salvation is made possible through every person and comes by way of Jesus' penalty price that he paid on the cross and by the preaching of the gospel. So when the gospel is preached, people are saved. That's what happened in Ephesus. Remember, Paul preached every day. He preached the gospel for two years, and God used one man's faithful preaching of the gospel to bring revival in that city. It says everyone knew the word of the Lord. It grew in power. So, while God is sovereign and he elects, he also partners with you and I, with his children, with his people, to bring about his will, his way of salvation to the ends of the earth. Read with me in Romans 10. Romans 10 says, There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So what Paul, Paul is sharing the heart of God. God's heart's to include every person. And Paul says, when times reach their fulfillment, when time and eternity merge, he's painting a picture of unity in heaven. Revelation 7, 9 through 11 shows us a picture of, of what all of human history is mounting towards. Paul sa- John writes in, in Revelation that there is going to be one day a great multitude that nobody could count from every nation, from every tribe, from every language before the throne, worshiping God, unified in Christ. So our mission, God's mission, is to bring people from the far reaches of the earth to the inner city to himself. And our call as those who are adopted into God's family is to partner with God in his mission, that we would be a people who are unashamed of the gospel, who would 
preach the gospel and live the gospel in our homes, in our neighborhoods, with, amongst our neighbors, with our co-workers, in this city, that we would win Melbourne and Palm Bay for the gospel. That we would go to the ends of the earth for the gospel. Why? Because God has elected people here and afar to be adopted into his family. And he calls us to join him on his mission to go to our our community, to our region, and to the ends of the earth proclaiming the good news. Because it is through the preaching of the gospel, Paul writes, that many will come to faith. So wherever you are, Wherever you are with your relationship with the Lord, know this, God has a purpose for your life. And it is found in the faithful living out and preaching of the gospel, joining him on his missions. Now, as we conclude our text this morning, verse 11, Paul concludes, he says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This morning we've talked about Election, adoption, and unification, three spiritual blessings. But our fourth point today is simply this. When we walk out those spiritual blessings, it brings glorification to God. God is glorified when we live out those spiritual blessings. Because God elected us, because he adopted us, predestined us, what's our response? It's to bring praise to God. See, the gospel is simple. Paul says the way that we're included in God's family is when we believe the gospel. Remember, Abraham didn't understand God. He just believed him. And it was credited to him as righteousness. We may not fully understand the gospel, but we believe the finished work of it. The gospel in its simplest form Many of you know the verse, John 3, 16. If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In its simplest form, the heart of God, the gospel of salvation. He doesn't desire anyone to perish. He loves you today. He loves you unconditionally. And he calls you by name to be adopted into his family. He doesn't ask you to understand. He simply asks you to believe. So as we close, we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask you if you've never believed, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and received that free gift of salvation, being adopted into his family, would you do so today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have from eternity past, by your grace, 
elected us, chosen us, adopted us. God, you came for us. And there are perhaps some in this room, in the commons, or watching online. Online, there's a number for you there. We're just like that father was going to China and said, they have a family. They are loved unconditionally. Father, that's your heart today. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've never received the free gift of salvation, if you've never received the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins, if you've never believed in Jesus. Would you just raise your hand right now saying, today I acknowledge God's call, his election on my life. Raise your hand high. Saying today I want to be adopted. I want to join the family of God. Amen. Commons online. Amen. Father, we thank you and we worship you today. God, help us as we go from here to live lives of worship, to join you in your mission, that we, like Paul, would be faithful to the preaching and the living out of the gospel. God, preaching the gospel is not just for pastors, it's for every person, that we would live on mission for you. Lord, thank you for calling us. Thank you for choosing us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship the Lord? Sing together, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Son So faithful is our God. Church, we love you. You, thank you so much for joining us. We love you. We support you. We believe in you. And as we go from here, Genesis 12 tells us that Abraham, he didn't know where he was going. 
some, maybe some of you don't know where you're going from here. But Abraham believed God. And God got directed his steps. So wherever you go, go following Jesus, looking forward through the windshield of faith. And as Abraham did, he looked forward to a city whose architect and builder is God. Go forward in faith. We love you. If you raised your hand for salvation or need, have prayer needs, we have an incredible prayer team. Come on up front after service. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to pray with you. If you're new to Calvary or have questions about the church or how to get connected, I want to invite you to go to our center ring there, new to Calvary. Some of our pastors there, our ministry leaders are there. We want to meet you. We want to help you get connected. Remind you of the shape class starting next week that you would discover how God wired you in this generation to serve him. And last but not least, we thank you for your faithful and, uh, giving and your generosity in partnering, uh, not just with CCM, but you're partnering with the mission of God to the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we thank you for your faithful giving. Church, we love you, and we will see you at prayer tomorrow and on Wednesday. God bless you. <laughs>